0: A lot of ground to cover. You're also going to need a Bible uh, if you want, or you can use a Bible app, so get that out because we're going to be looking at uh, a couple places in Genesis as well, uh, as well as a couple other places in the New Testament. But let me pray for us. Uh, Father in heaven, we are grateful for your faithfulness this morning, and we are grateful that your faithfulness always wins, that your faithfulness comes uh, not only... um, with mercy and grace, but it comes with power, and it comes with your sovereign hand. We're thankful that out of your sovereignty and your power this morning, rather than bring that power to crush us, you crushed your son Jesus in our place. We thank you for your provision, all the work, all the generations, all of the things that had to happen for him to go to the cross. We thank you for his resurrection, We thank you for the life that we now have through him. We pray this morning that we would wrestle a bit with your word, uh, with the challenge of this great story uh, from the book of Genesis. We pray that it would help us recognize uh, not only that you are faithful, help us to see those places in our own life that we are faithless, and help us to see that your mercy always wins. We, We love you, and we are grateful this morning for your great love for us, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so each and every morning, just about, um, I have coffee. On certain days, I have more coffee than others. This is my first cup, so I'm doing pretty good today, and I've only had one sip, so we'll see what happens. That means I'm going to have most of my coffee after I teach, so I can't take um, any responsibility for what's about to happen. Uh, One of my favorite things is coffee mugs. Coffee mugs. Uh, I don't know if you guys like coffee mugs, if you collect coffee mugs, but, you know, a man's coffee mug says a lot about them. Uh, and, it, man, they have just great slogans on them. And I'll never forget, uh, some of you remember Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. He was on staff here at PCPC years ago. He was one of my professors in seminary. And he had a coffee mug at our, at our school that uh, stayed with uh, the kind of the community coffee mugs. But everybody knew that this was Dr. Ferguson's. You didn't miss with it, right? And it was always funny for a new student to come, and they'd walk out, and it's a John Owen mug. And some of you, I mean, I don't have time to talk about who John Owen was, but John Owen was a Puritan, and Sinclair Ferguson's favorite, one of his favorite theologians. And so when somebody walked out of the cafeteria little room, and they had the John Owen mug, you know, we knew this isn't good. And if you know Dr. Ferguson, I mean, he's not mean, and he's not cranky, but man, he can, he can put people in their place with this kind of Scottish wit. And we just knew, okay, he's going to become a spectacle. This unwitting student has just kind of walked into it. I don't know about you and different coffee mugs, but one of the things I think about coffee mugs, I think about how Christians love coffee mugs, and sometimes in the worst ways. Uh, and I call it coffee mug theology, where people will take a verse and they'll put it on a coffee mug and they'll, now this is, this is kind of their thing, right? They've taken a verse and this is their thing. And they're like, this is every morning I wake up and this, this verse kind of reminds me of who God is. The only problem is, is they don't totally understand what that verse really means and what it's getting at. And sometimes that can be in the worst ways <laughs> that a verse is totally taken out of context and other times it's just the fullness of it has been completely lost. Coffee mug, coffee mug theology is when you take one verse out of the Bible, and you extract it from its context, and you lose the fuller meaning. One of those verses that I think qualifies as a coffee mug verse is Romans 8.28. As I say, Romans 8.28, some of you are now picturing in your mind a coffee mug, <laughs> and it's, it's maybe kind of cream color, and in blue, you've got Romans 8.28 written on the side of it. You, some of you could probably recite back to me what it is. I won't make you this morning, because I know we're all still waking up. Romans 8.28 says, And we'd know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I think this qualifies in two ways as as a good example of coffee mug theology. Uh, One is that if you take it out of context, you realize this this happens in the middle of Romans chapter 8, which is one of the most complex chapters in the entire Bible. (laughs) So to take one verse out of Romans 8, is, is you're not gonna get the, full, the fullness of the meaning. But also qualifies because I think we don't really think about what the fullness of what this is actually saying. Paul tells us that God works all things together for good. Not just some things, not just the things we let God use, not just even good things. God even uses bad things for good Not just bad things that happen out there to us, God even uses even the bad things that we do for good. God works all things together for good. And what we're going to look at this morning is one of those stories where you see this is a mess. It's a mess. We are going to get a small glimpse into a very broken family where there is warring between brothers favoritism from parents, meddling from a mother, uh, apathy from a son. I mean, this story just shows the mess of human beings. And as we look at each of these characters in Genesis 27, you're going to identify with one, if not all of them, either in your own story, uh, personally, or people that you know, or perhaps even in your own family. And what I want you to see is that God works all things together for good all things. And what I want you to see is that God is faithful not only to faithless people. That's true. And it's good news for you and me this morning. God is not only faithful to faithless people, but what I want us to see this morning is God is also faithful through faithless people. And that's what we're going to see in the story of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. So this is what the author of Hebrews tells us. Again, we're working our way through the hall of faith, stopping with each Old Testament hero of the faith to look at their story. And this morning we're looking at Hebrews 11, verse 20. It's there on your sheet. Author of Hebrews writes, by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. That's all he gives us. Just one verse. By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And if you know the story of Isaac or the story of Jacob You think, well, there's lots of places, perhaps, that he could choose about this, uh, lots of ways he could talk about faith, and yet this is the story he chose. Why? And as we work our way through this this story in Genesis 27, the background of this, we're going to see that God was faithful through a very faithless family, and through their brokenness, he brought redemption to the entire world. So let me show you what I mean. First, I want to look at Rebecca. And I want you to see that Rebecca was a meddler. I want us to look at Rebecca's meddling. She was a controlling, conniving, manipulative person. And we see that come out in Genesis 27 verse 1. It's there on your sheet. And we'll be looking at this just in chunks. So we're told that Isaac, Isaac was old. So we have two figures, a mom and a dad. Isaac is the father, Rebecca is the mother Isaac is getting old, he's recognizing that his body is beginning to fail him, we're told that his eyes had grown dim, in other words, he couldn't see very well, he was almost blind. We get a vision of this in verse 1, where he calls Esau, his older son, and he said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. So even his family is aware that their father is beginning to become blind, they're calling out to him, say, hey dad, I'm over here right? Come look over this way. I know you can't see very well. So they all are aware that Isaac's health is failing. And as Isaac's health is failing, he recognizes it's time for him to do something that God had commanded him to do through his promise to Abraham. It was time for him to pass on God's blessing, his covenant blessing, to the next generation. So beginning with Abraham, we see this picture and this promise That God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you and your offspring after you. So this blessing is meant to be passed down from generation to generation, from Abraham to Isaac. And now Isaac needs to pass it along to his oldest son. We're told that Jacob and Esau are the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. They're twins. So yes, they were born at the same time, but technically Esau was born first. Esau came out first. And then Jacob came. What that means is that the birthright, the blessing to be passed down to the next generation goes from Isaac to Esau. It's passed down to the eldest in the next generation. So that's what he knows he needs to do. He knows it's time for him to pass down the blessing. And so that's what he says. He's calling Esau to himself. He's saying, go out for a hunt, prepare food for me. And when you come out, I'm gonna pass on the blessing to you. We're told verse five, Rebecca, she heard all of this. And as she's listening to Isaac talk to their son, she had to have known this day was coming. She had to have known that at some point, especially as her husband is getting old, his health is beginning to fail, that it's gonna be time for him to pass on the blessing to their oldest son, Esau. So as she hears this, she decides she needs to take matters into her hands. It's time for her to meddle. It's time for her to be manipulative. So this is what she does. I want you to look at verse five. She hears this as soon as Esau goes out to the field. Verse six, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So what did she do? She is meddling. And I want you to see the level of detail she has worked out her plan. It's a conspiracy. The, the blessing is about to be given to Esau. Esau's out in the field hunting so he can prepare a meal for his father. And Rebecca wants the blessing not to go to Esau. She wants it to go to Jacob. And so notice what she tells Jacob. Does she tell Jacob to go on a hunt? No. Now, we don't have too much time to get into the difference between Jacob and Esau, but we know Esau was, was a strong, hairy man. <laughs> he came out hairy, which is pretty amazing. Um Jacob was kind of maybe not so much, right? Jacob stayed, we're told he stayed indoors. <laughs> that's what the Bible says. I love the Bible, the details are amazing. So he stays indoors, right? He's not that kind of kid. Um, so maybe, you, maybe you're that way. Maybe you have some sons that are one of these, right? So he's not that way. So to tell Jacob to go out for a hunt, that's way too uncertain. There's no telling what he's going to come back with, right? <laughs> so she says, no, 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 just go out to the field and go grab some goats. <laughs> we, we raise those. You're not going to have to hunt for those. Just bring them back. But then rather than tell Jacob to prepare the food, what does she say she's going to do? I'm going to do it. Again, I'm not going to leave this to uncertainty. I want to make sure this meal is good. I know what my husband likes, so I'll do it. Just go. Don't even go for a hunt. Go get the goats. I'll make the food. And then what's going to happen is your father's going to bless you instead. He's going to give you the blessing instead of giving the blessing to Esau. She has a plan. It's manipulative. It's deceptive. It's a conspiracy. I want you to think about your own families. I want you to think about yourself. Have you ever meddled in somebody else's life? Have you ever felt the need to kind of control a situation? Have you ever felt like, man, it was up to you, that you just kind of needed to play the part where you can just orchestrate this and that and this thing over there to force something to happen? That's what Rebecca was doing. And what's amazing about this is Rebecca was actually told way before this, that Jacob would be the one to get the blessing, anyways. God told her that Jacob would be the one to get the blessing. And yet she went to all this trouble. In Genesis chapter 25, we're, we're told that the account of the birth of Jacob and Esau. She feels these twins warring against each other in her womb, the Bible tells us. She can feel them already literally before they're even born, quarreling with each other. So I don't know if any of you are twins or any of you have brothers. <laughs> what it's like to have a brother, right? Especially born that close in age. Already, not just from birth, before birth, Jacob and Esau are warring against each other. And so she prays to the Lord in Genesis 25. She says, what is happening to me? In 20, Genesis 25:23, the Lord says, there are two nations in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Rebecca was told from before her (laughs) boys were born that it would be the younger who God would work through. It would be the younger who would get the birthright and the blessing. It would be the younger who would pass down this lineage. It would be the older who would serve the younger And yet here she is, taking matters into her own hands, feeling the need to control. Brothers, how often do you feel that need to control welling up in you? Why did Rebecca feel this way? Because she didn't believe, she didn't trust God to do what he said he was going to do. And because we're told in Genesis 25 that she loved Jacob more than Esau. She loved Jacob more than Esau. In other words, it was because of a motherly love, which you could say in many ways is pure and good. Now, maybe favoritism isn't. But out of this motherly love, she would do anything, anything, even if it was wrong, to help her kids. Maybe the best contemporary example of this kind of thinking we've seen in the College of Mission scandals. You follow that stories? And you have these parents who will do anything they'll say, right? As they're caught, what do they say? I just, I just wanted to help my children. And so what do they do? They meddle. But they meddle to a, to a point that it literally is criminal. Falsifying their child's background and accomplishments, conspiring with school administrators to get them into a school that they might otherwise not be able to get into. Why do they do it? Why to go to such lengths? Why risk so much? Because they'll do anything for their kids. That's what they tell themselves. It's idolatry. And those of you who are parents this morning, what will you do for your kids? Well, there's a purity to saying, well, I'll do anything. But when you realize you, you begin to take matters in your own hands, you begin to have to ask yourself a question Do you really trust the Lord? Do you really trust God with your children? For those of you who don't have kids, I want you to think about all the ways in your life that you take matters into your own hands. As men, we do that all the time. The moment we start doing that, we become manipulative and we meddle. What does it look like for you to truly trust God with all things, to recognize he uses all things together for good? So Rebecca was a meddler. Rebecca's not the only one though, in this story, we have Jacob. And yes, she asked Jacob to command to follow her command. So you could say, well, Jacob had to do this, right? I mean, his mom asked him to. She said, you have to obey my command. You've got to do this. But what we see in Jacob's life is this kind of behavior started very, very early. So we're looking at Rebecca was a meddler. Jacob was a deceiver. He was a liar. This is the way it was from the very beginning. Again, in the story of their birth, Genesis 25, 24, we're told that Esau came out first. He was all red. We're told his body was like a hairy cloak. And so his name was called Esau. And afterward, his brother Jacob came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. Again, I love the Bible. And I love the detail. I want you to think about this. You have two brothers warring against each other, quarreling from the womb. And I, my kids are this way uh, all the time. They turn everything into a race. They're not even twins, right? I have three girls. My two oldest, though, they're two years apart. Everything is a race. Everything is a race. Uh, in some ways, that can work to my advantage when I want them to do something, and they're racing against each other. But one of the things that uh, just still to this day, and I don't know how, they, they typically take a bath all together, just, you know, like a like almost a swimming pool. And the moment I say, time to get out of the tub, it is a race to get out of the tub. And they are pushing and shoving, and it's slippery and wet, and almost every time somebody gets hurt. Why do we do that? Why do we turn everything into a competition? Jacob and Esau turn birth into a competition. <laughs> right? Here's the picture. Esau's born first, and there's Jacob, not far behind, holding on to his brother's heel, trying to get ahead. And so we're told Jacob's name, he's given his name, it's related to that, it means literally heel grabber, or it also means he cheats. How would you like for your name to be cheater? Jacob's name means cheater, and we see this throughout his life, that he's constantly trying to work his way ahead, stopping at nothing to win right? Think about I know we've got a lot of Texas Rangers fans here. I know we're in Texas, so I know some of you are Houston Astros fans. Yes, I'm going there this morning. Where does that groan come from, though? I mean think you think about what the Astros did, what the Red Sox did. And, and look, I, I love the debate afterwards. It's like, well, I mean, you know. It's kind of part of the game, or it's not, or you know, it's technology, or, and, and that's just part of life. And Did the other team have the same thing? No. That makes it cheating. <laughs> they had a competitive advantage that the other team did not have. Did they, were doing something that was misleading, deceptive, and wrong? Yes. I know we could debate that this morning. I don't want to go there. But the point is this. Look, you think, why would they do that? This huge, you know, multi-multi-million dollar organization. Grown men who should know better. Why would they do it? Because everybody wants to win. We all want to win. And yes, just like Rebecca, sometimes we'll stop at nothing to do so. So here's Jacob. He's a deceiver. He's a cheater. And we see this come out. Genesis 27 is there on your sheet. 27, 18. We're told that Jacob goes into his father and he said, my father. And he said, here I am. And notice Isaac's question, who are you, my son? You don't get more direct than that. Here's Jacob's chance to tell the truth. And Jacob, verse 19, I want you to catch this. Verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me, now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. How many lies did Jacob just tell? My name is Esau, lie number one. I am your firstborn, lie number two. I have done as you told me, lie number three. I did what my mom told me to do. Now sit up and eat my game, lie number four. Is it his game? Did he catch it? Did he hunt this? No, did he cook it? No, that your soul may bless me. Notice how many lies he has told to his own father. To his own father. Verse twenty. But Isaac said to his son, "How is it that you found it so quickly, my son?" Does your heart almost break for Isaac? You're like, oh, this poor man. It's like, wow, you've you've caught it so fast. And this is Esau. He thinks it is right. He's a great hunter. How have you done it so quickly? Notice the next lie. Because the Lord your God granted me success. So now Jacob went there. Now he's lying to his father, not only about what he did, but now what did he do? He lied about what God did. Well, that's blasphemy. You see this great power of deception working in Jacob's heart. And so then verse 21 Isaac calls him near, and he blesses him. He blesses him. Jacob went near. And notice, I mean, this, the story goes on and on. Um, it's almost too good. We really don't have the time. But I, I just want you real quick. This is verse 22. So Jacob goes closer to Isaac. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. <laughs> so he's trying to piece this all together. Verse 23 He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, and so he blessed him. Uh, One of the things we skipped over is Jacob, when he's talking to his mom about what's gonna happen, he says, well, I'm not hairy like Esau is. He's gonna know. And so literally his mom puts on a fur, (laughs) animal fur onto him. So that when he feels the hair of this fur, he'll know it's Esau. Again, how deceptive. Here's Isaac, he's like, your voice sounds like Jacob's. I know the voice of my son. But when I touch your hand, it's hairy, like Esau's. Again, just note how deceptive it really is. Verse 24, again, last chance, Jacob. Are you really my son, Esau, Isaac asks. And he answered, I am. And so he calls him here in verses 26 through 29, Isaac blesses Jacob. He gives him the blessing that belongs to the firstborn son. He gives him the blessing that belonged to Esau. Rebekah meddled. She hatched a plan. Jacob was a deceiver, he was a cheater. He carried out the plan. But what about Esau? It's the last person I want to look at before we go to your tables. You gotta almost feel sorry for Esau in a lot of ways. You think, well, what did Esau do to deserve this? He was just born first. But if you begin to unpack the layers of this family, and you unpack the layers of this story, you realize that well, Esau is not immune to faithlessness either. We see the faithlessness in Rebecca because she was a meddler. She was a controller. She took matters in her own hand, hands. We see the faithlessness of Jacob, and that he was a liar, a deceiver, and even blaspheming the name of God. And then you see the faithlessness of, of Esau and that he was apathetic. I want to show you what I mean. Verse 30, we see that as soon as Isaac had, was done blessing Jacob and Jacob had barely gone out, right? He's left the room. Esau comes back from his hunt, okay? Esau's gone back from his hunt. He's ready to prepare delicious food. He brings it to his father. He does everything his father does And he says, verse 31, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Verse 32, Isaac cannot see. He says, who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac knows immediately what's happened. Look at verse 33. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I've blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, verse 34, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. You see the the tragic ramifications of this conspiracy that Rebekah and Jacob planned out. Isaac, when he realizes that he's trembling, he cannot believe what's just, been, what's just happened. He knows that he's given his blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. Esau also knows exactly what's just happened. Notice it doesn't take either one of them very long to figure it out. It's almost like they kind of knew that this would probably happen one day, the way that Jacob was you see this and how he responds. He says verse 36, Esau said, "Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he's taken away my blessing." What's he talking about? He's saying, "I knew this would happen. Jacob's name means cheater, I should have known. He's now cheated me twice." What were those two times? Well, he took away my birthright, and now he's taken away my blessing. What you need to know is those are two different things, the birthright and the blessing. The birthright was the responsibility of the oldest son to be the patriarch of the next generation. It was a calling through the covenant of Abraham to carry on the family promise. That's the birthright. The blessing was a double portion given to the one with the birthright. The blessing was God's blessing in abundance given to the oldest. And what Esau's talking about is he's now been swindled out of both. Well, he's not talking about this one moment. He's going back to an instance that happened between him and Jacob earlier in Genesis. Again, this is Genesis 25. We're told that when they were younger boys, Esau was out in the field working. Right, So again, you see the difference between the two. Esau's out in the field working. Jacob is inside cooking stew. Esau comes in. He's exhausted. He's tired. And he comes to his brother Jacob and he says, hey, you're cooking stew. Let me eat some of that stew for I'm I'm exhausted. And again, these two brothers always kind of at war with each other. What do you think Jacob said? You don't even have to know the story to know what he probably said. No. (laughs) That's my stew. I made it. And Esau's like, no, I need, you got to give me the stew. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And Jacob says, I'll tell you what. I'll give you the stew if you give me the birthright. Even trade. But here's what Esau did. Rather than say, you know what, forget it. Rather than say, you know what, I'm going to take the stew from you because I'm bigger and stronger. I'm just going to hit you in the face. That's <laughs> probably what you think would happen. Esau says, okay, I'll, I'll give you the birthright. You can take the birthright. I want the stew. We see that Esau didn't really care much about his God-given position as the firstborn. He didn't really care a whole lot as his calling as the oldest son. He, He didn't really care about the birthright. In fact, Genesis tells us that Esau despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. He was apathetic towards the calling that God had placed on his life. He didn't care to the point where he sold it for a bowl of stew. And in the next chapter in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, the author then uses this instant, not just this whole story, this one detail to teach us about repentance. I want you to hear what he says. This is Hebrews 12, 16 and 17. He says, See to it that none of you is immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Don't be like Esau. Don't give up your birthright. Don't shun the God-given responsibility of the calling he's placed on your life. Don't be apathetic. That's the message the author of Hebrews is giving us and using this example And then he notices, look, even though he came with tears and wanted the blessing, it wasn't given to him. And you think, well, how is that apathy? Look, at the end, when the blessing was finally given to Jacob instead of Esau, he's, he's coming with tears. Were those tears not genuine? That doesn't seem apathetic. But notice, what is he crying over? Is he crying over the birthright? Is he crying over the loss of this calling that God's placed on his life? No. He's crying over the blessing. He doesn't want the responsibility. He doesn't want the birthright. All he wants is the blessing. And it was only when that blessing was lost that he began to be filled with tears. He didn't realize what he really had. Sometimes I think of those who grow up in the Bible Belt, are we really that different? If we take the blessings of God for granted, we find that sometimes we're lulled into a spiritual slumber. We become apathetic, not really the calling that God has placed on our life. So, as we end and go to your tables, here's the question. author of Hebrews says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. <laughs> and you're thinking, you know, I didn't write any of the Bible, so who am I to say? But I want you to ask yourself, if you were the author of Hebrews... And you're writing the great hall of faith and the great examples of faith of the patriarchs and those who've gone before us and the prophets and Rahab and David. Are you gonna choose this story as a picture of faith? How is this a picture of faith? By faith, Isaac knew it was his duty to pass on the future blessing. And though he was tricked Though he didn't know who he was blessing in his heart at the moment, he, by faith, was passing on the blessing, and here's why that matters. Again, it wasn't just any blessing. It wasn't just the blessing of a father to a son. It was God's blessing to the covenant of Abraham, where God said, I'm going to bless you and your offspring after you. I'm going to give you a land of everlasting possession. I will be your God. You will be my people. And he gave one specific promise that we see fulfilled through God's faithfulness in the story. God told Abraham that kings are going to come from you. Kings. God is faithful not just to faithless people. God's faithful through faithless people. Here's where we're going to end as you go to your uh, tables. We're going to end, of all places, we're going to end the Gospel of Matthew. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn there, go to a Bible app, or you can just listen and I'll send you to your table. Matthew begins his gospel in this way, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Where does Matthew begin the genealogy of Jesus? Abraham. Why? Because he wants us to see that Jesus was the fulfilled promise of God's covenant to Abraham. Kings will come from you. Two kings. Verse 1, Matthew one one, King David and King David's greater son, Jesus. And then notice the genealogy of Jesus, the family line. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. God's faithfulness to bring Jesus Christ to us worked through the faithlessness of Rebekah meddling in the birthright of a son. It took the cheating nature of Jacob cheating his own brother out of his blessing and deceiving his father. It took Esau's apathy towards his own place in the family. All of this faithlessness it took so that the family line would go through Jacob instead of Esau, so that many years later, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, would be born. Peter at Pentecost said that Jesus Christ was delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It didn't just take the high priest and his sin to put Jesus on the cross, or Pilate, and his unbelief, or the crowd saying crucify him, it took a long line of human calamity and faithlessness to put Jesus on the cross so that Jesus would now be faithful to you and me, not just to our faithlessness, but through our faithlessness, so that his mercy and his grace would always win out according to his good purposes. God works all things together for our good. Let me pray for you. Father, we ask that you would now help us to wrestle with this text. It is quite a story. And help us to see that you are working in and through all of it, that you you win out, your mercy wins out over sin and even through sin to bring redemption. So Lord, be with us now as we wrestle at our tables, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.